This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I can see Tony for the first time in weeks. Uh, I think longer than weeks. Maybe months. <laughs> it might be months. I don't even know now. It's been a while. Uh, he could see me every week, but for some reason we couldn't see each other. Uh, I couldn't see him. So this week I can actually see Tony. He's fit and ready to I go. I don't know about that, but uh, we'll we'll give it a whirl. He's upright, or at least that, his picture looks like he's upright. That's right. <laughs> and it's moving, so I know it's him, not a static image. Uh, I, I texted Tony last week and said, I, I need to talk. I need to vent. Um, that's the old phrase. I need to vent my spleen. My spleen is about to explode. For well, and, and I know for, for purposes of uh, this podcast, even though I don't know what the venting is going to be, that it cannot be about a restaurant. So <laughs> I could, I could do a restaurant. I know that's surprising, but I could do a restaurant of recent. Vintage. Unless it's about delivery service uh, defects. Well, okay. So you brought it out of me. Uh, we went to, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't take much. Uh, obviously you can't go into any restaurants at, at this point. So we went to, we did a um, red Robin. We ordered uh, over the phone uh, because the, if you've ever, I don't know if you have ordered from Red Robin on the on their app, it's not great, and you can't actually get everything that's on the menu. It's limited selections on the online app. So we called it in, and the closest Red Robin to where we're at was about 35 minutes away. So we called it in as we're leaving the driveway, pulled in. They said it'll be ready in 30 minutes. We get there, and they said, park in the parking lot. Uh, one of the girls or guys will come out, uh, attendants, and they will get your name, and they will come out with your food. Okay. So 40 minutes, 45 minutes, I had my wife pull up a little closer to the restaurant. Finally, after almost an hour, we snagged down uh, probably the manager, assistant manager, and said, you know, nobody's come out and check on us. She says, oh, they said that they look for you and you weren't there, so they, they didn't come out again. I'm like, well, if they talked to us, as they said they did, why wouldn't they have just brought our food? Why just talk to us and then never bring the food? So they brought the food out. The manager brings it out, stone cold. It's been sitting there for a half an hour at least, cold as ice. And I said, I can't eat this. It's a cold burger. I don't like cold burgers. I don't know how you feel, Tony. You like cold burgers? <laughs> Not a Gen- generally, I don't, I don't love them. And, and the thing about Red Robin is part of the allure is unlimited fries. Well, yeah, unlimited fries might be great. You can't get any unlimited fries with the, at this time. And they were cold. So they said, oh, let me make some more for you. Another half hour. So it was an hour and a half before we got our food. And they didn't even give us a free. They just said, sorry. I'm like, wow. So even in this time, I could find a restaurant that does not meet my standards of hot food. Well, that, that <laughs> sounds like a legitimate, uh, a legitimate gripe. Well, my, my wife tried to drive away though. She said, it's good enough. I'm like, no, it's not even remotely good enough. I paid full price and I got less than adequate service. So. Well, the other, the interesting thing is we tried to order and have delivery for Chick-fil-A the other, okay. the other evening. And it said on the website that, you know, they would waive the delivery fee or whatever, but the cost somehow oh, yeah. was, was like $50 yep. and we know what we normally order and what we normally order costs like $30. Yep. And so I'm thinking, how could it possibly be? So I basically told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to go get it. Yeah. And I mean, 
it was and it cost us thirty three dollars as opposed to fifty. You know, I can't I, tell you why that is. Why is that? So, I used to, in a previous life, I would do pickups and deliveries for Chick Fil A, and if you picked it up in the store, it was a certain price. So, like a, a normal delivery, they'll charge you know five, eight, ten dollars, whatever for the delivery. Chick Fil A charges it per item. So, if you get a tray of nuggets, it's I don't know. So it's so cool. every item has a surcharge. Every item has a surcharge. So if you, the more items you order, the higher the surcharge. It's not just a flat fee of ten dollars to deliver it. It's ten dollars on this, five dollars on that, three dollars on that. So a gallon of lemonade delivered is eleven dollars. It's a gallon yeah. of lemonade. Well, that's what I that's what I had assumed. I didn't realize there was a surcharge, but I had assumed that every item was going to be was being was more expensive. Yes, because and I, and I would try to get delivered half a mile away sometimes and they'd still charge me that premium like yeah we're we're very close i mean it took me less than you know 10 minutes to get there and i'm thinking yeah i'd be more than happy to pay <laughs> you know five dollars more but yeah. literally it's like a 40 percent increase i'm like no they no, really that's don't not want gonna to work. that's how you know they don't really want to deliver because they charge so much for delivery <laughs> it's crazy but Maybe that you was should with just the delivery supposedly with the delivery charge wave. I'll pick it up for you. Well, yeah, the yeah. delivery charge was think about that. They was they were going to charge you for delivery on top of that price. That's the insane part. Right. And it's good food, yeah. but they, it's not they just exactly. incentivize they want you to come to the drive through So that's what we did. Exactly. Exactly. So you did that. So what what did I want to vent? Many things I wanted to vent on. Um the first one is I called this you get a check. You get a check and maybe you get some check, but probably not because you don't, you earn too much. You know, I, I read uh, an article, a woman was complaining. I think she was in New York and her son who was currently unemployed because he got furloughed, uh, did not get one of these incentive checks. And she did, and she didn't think it was right. And I thought, well, wait a minute, why are you complaining about getting money? And, and you, if you really hated that much, you could just give it to your son, which she said she was going to do, but she hated Donald Trump for giving her a check and not her son. Okay. So it made me think, why are we, the broader picture, why are we keeping people away from work and then paying them not to work? And how long is this sustainable for some people or any of us for that matter, to be able to continue to do this? So the, the larger point is this, the whole reason for keeping people at home, social distancing, six feet separation was to flatten the curve. If that's the premise, flatten the curve so that the hospital systems and the, the healthcare system can take care of whatever comes in. Well, now so, it's, it hasn't just been flattened. It's been turned into a crater. Well, and that's what I'm, that's my point. It's turned into a crater. We have hospitals who frankly are going bankrupt because they don't have any surgeries. They don't have anything, any ancillary services to keep them afloat, which if you don't understand hospital system, they don't make money on you coming into the doctor to get a, have an office visit. They make a little bit of money, but they don't really make, that's not how they stay open. They do surgeries. They do lab work. They do uh, everything else that goes along with treating the patient. So if the whole purpose was to flatten the curve, which is you just said, Tony, it's been cratered. Why are we still in lockdown? But what, what was the purpose of the lockdown? If the lockdown for everybody was to flatten that curve, and they've told us it is, What's going to here in Pennsylvania? We're not supposed to open up even certain parts of the state until May 8th. What's changed between now and two weeks from now? It's going to be any different. 
Nothing. Like, it's already flattened. So why no. are we still locked up? <clears throat> because, because inertia. Because uh. that's what was decreed based on imperfect models. And so now we have an arbitrary deadline and arbitrary reasons for why we're reopening. And that's the problem is that when you commit yourself initially to the most stringent requirements based on faulty information, and again, you, neither you nor I are saying, oh, well, everyone should have just been able to go out and frolic the way they normally did. Everyone should gather in large groups and ignore this. No. But what's become increasingly clear is that the information that these lockdowns were predicated upon was unreliable. And you know what? That's fine because no one is saying that you're going to have perfect information in this type of environment. The criticism that I have is once you realize that the information that you were basing these very draconian edicts on, these these decisions that are having a catastrophic effect on people's lives, you should be willing to then come forward and tell the American people or the people of your state, guess what? New information suggests that we don't need to do this anymore. Or new information suggests that this might be appropriate for New York City, which mm -hmm. has half of the nation's fatalities, but it's not appropriate for South Dakota or central Pennsylvania or wherever. And uh -huh. so we're going to, on a case by case, state by state basis, make different decisions. But this has become the sort of the lockdown chorus. It's almost, well, first of all, it's two things. One, one thing inevitably it's devolved into a political war. It's mm -hmm. because the lockdown people, many of them, it's all about well, if Trump and his governors, right, the red state people want to open up and, you know, risk everyone's lives, we're automatically opposed to that. But right. the other thing is it's almost become sort of this, this sort of moralistic crusade that we're the good people and we're the ones that don't want anyone to die. No, nobody wants anyone to die. Okay. Sure. Sure. So we need to have the ability to rationally discuss whether these, uh, you know, these requirements that are ruining. Okay. And, and let's not talk about economics. People are losing their businesses. They're losing their homes. They're going to be in states of depression. People are going to try to commit suicide. We know this because this is what happens in any type of economic downturn that's serious. Nobody ever disputes this. I've made this point over and over. The people that are the most vociferous about these block, you know, these restrictions in any other policy context immediately talk about the human costs mm -hmm. of any reduced economic activity. The inability to work has disastrous consequences for the family. Absolutely. But for some reason, they don't recognize this now. <laughs> right. All it is now is the wicked capitalists who want to make an extra buck against the people who want to save lives. Well, that's just a complete fallacy. But that's right. how they talk about it now. Yeah. Let me play a clip from Andrew Cuomo from a month ago and refresh the, your memory hole. I want to make a point on the president's point about the economy and public health. I understand what the president is saying. This is unsustainable that we close down the economy and we continue to spend money. 
That there is no doubt about that. No one is going to argue about that. But if you ask the American people to choose between public health and the economy, then it's no contest. No American is going to say, accelerate the economy at the cost of human life. Because no American is going to say how much a life is worth. Job one has to be save lives. So that's his no life taken for granted. So it's a combination of sophistry and demagoguery all rolled up into one. So the first question, first of all, what he said is nonsensical because his first statement was no one will contest the claim that this is unsustainable, meaning the lockdown. Okay. In the very next breath, he says, however, if you have to choose, people are going to reject opening up America. Well, which is it? You just said that it's unsustainable. That suggests that there really isn't a choice, right? And then the next question should be, how many lives, Governor? In other words, every American is going to vote in favor of saving lives. Okay. Until when? Until we know that no person is going to be infected and possibly die from this? Ten? A thousand? What is the metric? And of course, he will never, ever say what that is because there isn't one. And he knows full well that if it's, we have to make sure that not a single other person, if we can do anything, right? If any life can be saved, is that really, is that really the policy you're recommending? Okay. Doesn't this seem like uh, kind of a retread argument for the gun control? We can save one life. We should do whatever it takes to save one life. We should take away every right that's in the Constitution. We should we should take away your ability to do anything because we could save one life. Exactly. Right. You never say about cars. You never hear about cars. You never hear about. Uh, you know, sometimes you hear about sports, but the reality is you, they pick and choose what they're trying to save lives from, and not everything but, is worth saving. No, and even further, and I, I think you're correct. But in the gun control debate, the next step is always, please demonstrate how your proposed solution is actually going to, quote, save lives. Meaning, please link the facts. You know, we've talked about this. You want to ban this type of weapon. Please demonstrate how that action would have saved lives in the context in which you are now claiming this must be done. And they can never do that because the inconvenient facts are, well, they didn't use that type of weapon and those weapons are never used in violent crime except very rarely. And this person actually purchased the gun legally and passed all the background checks. So your, your ban on alleged, you know, gun, like they can never demonstrate that their preferred policy will even work. And this gets back to the coronavirus, which is, one of the reasons that people are increasingly upset about these lockdown edicts is because you see things like the governor in Michigan saying, you know what, I don't think you should be able to buy seeds and <laughs> you shouldn't be able to buy paint and come to think of it, you shouldn't be able to use a power boat. And the, the, the obvious question would be, what in the world does that have to do with saving lives? Nothing. Can you, it, it's so you're asking people to give up their livelihood to give up freedoms 
And yet your requirements and your mandates seem to be completely arbitrary. And why is it, for instance, that my store that sells these goods has to be closed, but the giant box store down the street has 300 people over there right now buying lumber? Mm-hmm. What is the, and so there is no, there is no coherence to any of this. And this also, this also is very much yet another sort of social class divide in this country. Meaning Chad, who are the people that are largely on the ramparts, most vocally saying we must lock down for perpetuity in terms of social class, what would you say? What was the, what's the profile? You mean the $24,000 refrigerator behind Nancy Pelosi the, or, you know, the, the Tom Wolf sitting there telling you, I feel your pain as I sit in my piles of cash, like Scrooge McDuck, you know? So it's not just, it's not even just about people that have money, but it's sort of about the, it's the same divide we see in in the election of Donald Trump. It's the same divide we typically see in all of the culture war issues, which is you have this sort of credentialed class, right? The, the college educated, um, university employed, government employed, media employed, beltway residing, right? Acela corridor. These people, who, by the way, are all still getting paychecks. Is the Acela and, still running? Huh? Is the Acela still running? Whatever. I mean, I don't know. Is it, I, the wonder. point is, and then they're they're so they're the ones that are unaffected generally, mm-hmm. who have the ability. Oh, we'll just stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah. You know? And meanwhile, all of the people that actually are necessary for the infrastructure of this country to work, the small business owners and the truck drivers and the, the contractors and the, the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, s- small business people, middle America, right? The deplorables, basically. Yeah, the deplorables. These are the people that they're telling, shut up, go home, watch whatever's on your television. And if it takes a year, and by the way, you've lost your house by then and you've lost the business that your family spent a lifetime trying to build, so sad. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll find a government program for you in a year that'll make it all better. Well, don't don't you agree that there's 538 individuals who could be furloughed right now and save us, you know, some money anyway. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I feel that every person who's telling me to suck it up and just this is for your best interest is not really giving up anything. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, the state store is delivering your alcohol. If you spend a hundred dollars, you can get six bottles of alcohol. Does that seem ludicrous? Oh, did I forget to mention it's the state store, so it benefits the state government because they're the only ones allowed to sell liquor. So, why is that important? Michigan, you can still buy lottery tickets, but you can't buy the paint or the seeds. Why? Just because. And I, I get disgusted from hearing somebody tell me you're doing something for me, but you're not asking me what's important to me, telling me. Basically, they're treating us like we're children. I, I am a child as far as they're concerned. Of course you are. And I can't make any decisions for myself, even up to including my own health, safety, wellness, and money. It's my money, but they seem to tell me how to spend it. It's my health and safety, but they tell me 
where you can and can't go because I feel like it because I want to. We canceled school basically across the nation, high school, college. It didn't matter. We we have people graduate from college with degrees who didn't actually earn those credits. Does that not bother anybody? Well, it's so interesting. Goes, eh, whatever. It's interesting because uh, Andy McCarthy, uh, you know who he is. He mm-hmm. he's a brilliant guy. He he writes a lot of columns, and he's been he's been writing columns. He wrote a recent column about the coronavirus, and the point of the column was essentially the government has the burden of proof. Mm-hmm. And, and what he meant was, and he was he was drawing a comparison, and it's an imperfect comparison, which he admitted to how things function in a court of law, which is that if you're going to, in a criminal case, if you're going to demonstrate that the defendant is going to go to jail or he's going to be convicted of a capital crime, the government has a very, very high burden that they must demonstrate. And his larger point was that in the context of the coronavirus debate, what we're being told is essentially, here's an expert. Here's Dr. Fauci. He's an expert. And look at his resume. And so now you need to shut up and listen to everything that he says. And McCarthy's point is, wait a minute, this doesn't mean that you dismiss people who have expertise. And in fact, in a legal case, both sides present experts in, in what I do. Mm-hmm. We present experts and we ex- and we tell the jury, the court will tell the jury, this individual has been accepted as an expert in this field. And so they have a certain level of credibility because of their greater experience. But his point was, but you don't uncritically listen to everything that these people say that is challenged, that is tested. And if they're cross-examined and Mr. Expert's conclusion is, this is what, this is what I believe. And that conclusion is not substantiated by facts. Then you're entitled to disregard that. And his point was that in the public policy debate about this, it's perfectly fine to say, we acknowledge Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and all these other people, all of these people that are epidemiologists that you have a lot of education and a lot of training, but we're not going to just accept at face value your public policy pronouncements. You need to shelter in place for 12 months. Well, the logical question in a court of law would be, doctor, please walk us through the factual basis for that conclusion. Please walk us through the testing. By the way, doctor, aren't I correct that a month ago you were saying that this was not even a risk, right? So in other words, the point is we're hearing from a lot of people right now, you need to just shut up and and accept what your credentialed betters are telling you. Even if, by the way, the first question for Dr. Fauci would be, doctor, you're an epidemiologist, right? You don't have any particular expertise in economics or infrastructure or any of the other issues that someone has to consider in terms of what goes into governing a state or a country and opening up an economy, right? You're here to talk about medical issues, right? But they're vested with this sort of automatic authority that everything that they've said, you just have to listen to them. You're not even allowed to debate this because you're a bad person if you want to. And that's kind of that's kind of what's going on. And I think you would agree, Chad, we're seeing more and more that most of America is increasingly saying, we're done with this. We're, we're just not going to allow you to destroy our lives. Again, and I'm not here, I, I have to emphasize this, I'm not here as one of these people, go to the beach, go to the movies, mingle with 50 people. No, obviously be prudent, social distance, wear your mask, okay? All, all that stuff. 
it has gotten to the point where the cure now, in my view, is so far worse than the disease for the vast majority of the country that it has to stop. Yeah. Well, ironically, no cure exists, but I, I think what you're, what I hear you saying is basically this is a, a Trump administration putting on a show every day. And ironically, the people who hate Trump the most are the ones touting these experts who Trump has on stage every day. Isn't that strange? They, they don't they don't like Trump and he does shoot his mouth off, but they like the experts because they're saying what they want to hear. Maybe and I'm thinking of certain people I've read that just go, oh, these are so such intelligent people. They know so much. And you're right. They don't know everything. They don't know about all fields of life. They know about their specialty. That's why they're an expert. You can't be an expert in everything. Uh, I guess I get tired of being told I can't go somewhere. I can't do something. And I, social distancing is fine. I work in a hospital. I, I see this every day. I, I see the I see the attempted uh, efforts to keep us safer. And I think this is the best we can do, but this isn't this isn't helping anything. We're still we're still showing. I mean, I remember when this first started, they were doctors were told not to wear masks because it gave the wrong impression to patients that there was a risk. And now you can't walk anywhere without the mask. Right. You know, well, and I'm like, what changed dramatically in that thinking other than it seemed like the right thing to do? Maybe. I don't know. Well, it's interesting. You said a few sentences ago, you know, the person that you referenced, and he's not alone, has made statements like, these people are trying to keep us safe. Sure. As if that's dispositive. Well, <laughs> I don't really care. I mean, kudos to them. I'll accept for the sake of argument that they mean well, but I'm sorry. Sure. That's not the end of the discussion. Their it's intentions. People, isn't it? It's what? It's supposed to be the end of the discussion because they are trying to help us. You're just supposed to listen and, and accept that they're trying to help you. So just shut up and listen. Interestingly, Don't. that framework is never applied to Donald Trump. Well, no, never. Right. He, cause he's, because they can read his mind and he's not actually trying to help us. But the point is no person who is in good faith evaluating a proposed policy should be able to say, listen, all that matters is their intentions. They mean well, so do what they say. Well, oh, wait a minute. How about is the policy that they're advocating, regardless of their good intentions, effective or not? Is it doing what they claim it is doing? If it's not doing that, number one, I would hope intellectually honest people would then say, including the people proposing it, hey, guess what? The facts on the ground are, even though we meant well, this isn't working. It's not doing what we said, and we're going to change the policy. No one would blame them for that. Nobody has a crystal ball. That's the way our leadership should work, which is admit, hey, we thought this was the best course of action. We have new information. This virus is not as lethal. It doesn't, it, it doesn't affect people in Peoria the same way that it's affecting them in the urban, densely populated mass transit hub of New York City. So we're going to propose different remedies for different places just to say they deserve our support because they're trying to keep us safe. No, they don't. They deserve our support 
if in fact they are implementing policies that are doing what those policies are supposed to do. If they're not, they deserve criticism. They deserve constructive criticism. And hopefully, if they're in any manner uh, a responsible leader, would say, you know what? What we said last month no longer pertains. And we're going to change our policy because it's actually not suited to the current facts on the ground. Do you see any indication that that's happening? I don't see that from anyone. No, I don't, I don't see any representative, whether it's House, Senate, Governor, President, and I lump them all. I said this last week. I lump them all. I think they've all done a horrible job at managing this. I said to somebody today, if you're going to shut down the world, you better have a plan to restart the world or don't shut it down. Come up with a different solution. Well, or you be, and you better have a justification for continuing to shut down the better. world. Well, what what is Governor Wolf's here in Pennsylvania? His his justification is you have to have less than was it 50 deaths in a two week period? 50 deaths or 50 new cases? I gotta be 50 deaths. Uh in the area in the region I'm in, there have been three deaths total since right. the start. We're still on lockdown. Three deaths. We we certainly meet that criteria. It's been six weeks since this all really blew up, and we have had three deaths. Now we've had cases, but we haven't had deaths. And based on his arbitrary criteria, I might add, arbitrary completely, we're still in lockdown for another two weeks. I I, I do not understand that. I don't. Ex- nobody can explain to it, including governor wolf he's why trying, so happy. he's what don't you understand chad he's trying to help you he's trying he's to save your me. life he's not helping me people are being people at my wife's company have been laid off we've taken pay cuts all in the name of trying to help me protect me from something that hasn't happened here and we were told a week and a half ago we've peaked so if we peaked at 3 now i'm not to dismiss the people who have gotten covid-19 and have suffered, or the people who have died from it and their family is affected by that. Of course not. But we're making, again, making public policy on how I feel instead of legitimate, accurate data and making reasoned, rational decisions like you just talked about. If the data shows me what I thought was going to happen isn't happening, why have I not adjusted my course of action? And they can't explain this. Now, I'm going to throw a wild conspiracy theory out here. Well, not really that wild. I truly believe the Democrats did not create COVID-19. They did not cause this to happen. But I think they're milking this for all they can. I think they're trying to destroy the economy for the presidential election in November. And I I cannot be convinced otherwise, because if I look outside of uh, Larry Hogan in Maryland, every Democratic governor thinks we need to be locked down indefinitely. Virginia. Governor Northam, you know, that that pillar of morality thinks we should be locked down at least through mid-June, if not longer, in Virginia. Why? Just because. Because I know it will crater the economy. And guess what happens when presidential elections, national elections, the economy is cratered? The incumbent president usually doesn't win, usually goes home. Well, I guess I would say that I have a slightly different take on that. And and I agree with you that there's certain, there's certainly people that are that cynical uh, that even if they're not trying to, they would welcome this because they view everything through the only thing that matters to them is removing Donald Trump. And so this is the best way to do it. But I think, I think more of what's going on and you've, you've seen this admitted up front, which is this presents the people 
on the left with an unprecedented opportunity mm-hmm. to, for every one of their hobby horses for the last 50 years to implement them. I mean, people have said this on the record. I forget who the, uh, I think he's a house member who said, you know, this presents an incredible opportunity for us to jam through all of our wish list priorities. You look, you saw this in the disgraceful conduct of Nancy Pelosi and Schumer when they held up the first, uh, you know, the CARES Act, all of the really, why? Because they wanted it larded up with, oh, well, we need all of our Green New Deal stuff jammed in there. We need all of our 50 pages of federalizing elections. And by the way, that is going to continue to be, the, as to quote, go away. to quote yeah. Joe Biden, mark my words, mark my words that you are going to increasingly hear within the next couple of months leading up to this election, this must be done by mail. We yeah. cannot possibly have in-person voting because this has been their dream forever. <laughs> Did you hear it happen today in New York State? They canceled the primary. Right. They, because they, they changed the rule that said any candidate who has suspended their their campaign is no longer considered to be on the ballot. That left Joe Biden with no primary to run against, so he won the primary. Even though Donald Trump is still on the ballot in other states unopposed. So he still has to run, still has to, no, it's a foregone conclusion. But they they canceled the state of New York's election. And Bernie Sanders is furious because he was hoping to gather some delegates to pressure the uh, platform for the Democrats. And now he doesn't have that chance. They canceled the election. Right. And and so you're going to, so this is being used as sort of a Trojan horse for all sorts, all manner of other political agendas. But I want to go back to something else that you said about, mm-hmm. you know, what's the explanation? If we had, for instance, a media that wasn't simply, uh, you know, water carriers for the Democratic Party and all they were interested in is gotcha moments with Donald Trump. One of the things that you would think that they would be reporting on and asking Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks is, listen, all of the current information about hospital utilization, about ICUs, about available beds, is that the curve has not only been flattened, hospitals are empty. Okay. You look at, I would encourage people to get whatever reliable information you have on this because you can't really fake it. For instance, the ship that, that yeah. Trump sent to New York the for, for extra beds, comfort. Yeah. I don't know the exact number, but I think it had like 600 available beds. It's gone. It was, not only was it gone, <laughs> they had used up to like 130. Yeah. There are, you know, you look at the Mayo Clinic, you look at Hopkins, they're running at like 30 to 40% capacity. Now, someone I would think should be saying, okay, let me understand. We implemented this regime of sheltering in place to flatten that curve. And it appears, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Dr. Expert, that that not only has been accomplished, but hospitals are now in the red because they're not even able to make money because all of the elect, the quote unquote elective procedures were canceled to make sure that we could care for people with COVID that were going to overwhelm the system. Clearly the system not only has not been overwhelmed at this point, the system is at capacity. It, it's beyond at capacity. It needs, it is available space. Why are we still under these policies, if that was the rationale. Now, the answer to that either has to be we're denying reality and those facts are incorrect, (laughs) or 
well, we've changed the rationale for why that policy exists. What's the new rationale? Well, it's to save lives. That's not really what it's for. Okay. Because you still are not going to save lives. Sooner or later, people have to exit their homes and inject themselves back into society. And there's going to be a number of those people who are still going to be infected. That is an unavoidable consequence. Again, unless Zeke Emanuel becomes the, you know, the, the czar of global health and decides that you all can live in caves for three years and then we'll emerge to the Mad Max economy, you know, when this is all done. Good luck with that. I don't know if you know this or not, but, um, Somebody asked me why why don't we just start doing elective surgeries if if there's a backlog, which there is, and they're money makers for the hospitals, which they are, because if you are found to do a procedure that they haven't deemed necessary by their criteria, then you lose any funding, any extra CARES Act money you receive. Sure. Because of that. And that, that includes the PPP money. The the payroll protection plan. Basically keeping people at their level uh you lose all that money have to pay it back uh that's not to be confused with the i'm a huge corporation and i applied for money and oops i shouldn't have gotten it which shame on them for applying and shame on the trump administration for giving it to them in the first place somebody had to mark approved for ruth chris right million dollars i'm sorry it didn't accidentally show up in their bank account i'm pretty sure that didn't happen so who approved it and why are we holding them accountable for screwing this up? It, it basically, it was supposed to go to small businesses and only, and I, I don't know if you saw this article, Wells Fargo, shockingly, you know, Wells Fargo, the people who opened up bank accounts to fraudulently right. to right. add their bonuses, they apparently were only processing the uh, small business loans for the largest corporations to pocket the largest fees possible. And they didn't put through the small businesses until there was no money left. Because they got more money that way. They figured that out. So, again, our government, in an attempt to try to help people, screwed us again because they couldn't even do that right. Well, and that's a, that is a perfect segue into another issue in terms of a teachable moment. So, if you, when we look back at this and try to say, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? What do we need to fix? Because we certainly were unprepared for sure. this pandemic. And we shouldn't have been unprepared, but we were. The people, the very same people that are constantly claiming the federal government should run everything. Oh, yeah. Do you think that the the uh, performance and the competency of the federal government in this crisis uh, would suggest that that's a good plan? Because we can walk through, for instance, one of the major problems is we didn't ramp up testing fast enough. Everyone agrees with that. Now, of course, everyone wants to blame Trump as if he was the one that's in charge of that. Who was in charge of that? The CDC. The CDC bungled that from the beginning. I encourage people to read about the reasons. One of them was that the test kits that they initially sent out had had a something in them that rendered the test completely invalid because it wasn't, it wasn't set up the right way. So we wasted a month and a half that's the federal government at work. By the way, the CDC had spent the last whatever four years focusing on diversity, racism, and you know LGBT Important issues. Stuff. I'm not really sure that's supposed to be their mission statement. Maybe no. that has something to do with it. The FDA, the FDA in all of its red tape glory, blocking private industry from 
developing tests because you didn't form out, you didn't fill out your TPS report in quadruplicate, right? So we have seen the way that the federal government has dropped the ball over and over. All of these checks that are supposed to be going to everyone, <laughs> right? I've been reading yeah. that some of these people, oh, you might get yours in six months after you've, declared, after you've declared bankruptcy. You can pay your bankruptcy lawyer's retainer with it. So the people that are advocating in the wake of this, what we need to do is give the hyper-competent government more control over every aspect of your life. Would you say those people are hmm, untethered from reality or not? They should be untethered from reality because as we said before, I don't think anybody else should be able to tell me what's best for me. It's, it's highly questionable that they know me better than me. And they have a better decision-making process. I understand there's the greater good part of this thing. I, I think you failed to mention one key aspect of this gimme, gimme culture. The state of Illinois has applied for a $10 billion uh, loan to pay their state employees' pensions. Oh, yes. So wait for California, New York, and Pennsylvania, probably Florida, to apply for the same gimme, gimme, gimme. We mismanaged this over and over again. We were never going to bail this out. And, oh, wait a minute. Here's a great opportunity to screw everybody else, pay them back. Oh, we're never getting pensions away. You're not kidding. I mean, oh. that's going to be the next. Because, look, the golden goose is here. Mm-hmm. We've spent three decades in all of these states robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're all in public sector pension hell because of these spiraling legacy costs that, you know, that they're never going to get out from under. But, hey, again, this is a perfect opportunity to clear that off our books. Yep. Oh, by the way, on the backs of who? The rest it's, of the country. Well, it's just the money. It it's the it's the Obama tree or whatever. Oh, yeah. Right? It's the trillion dollar coin. No, that's going to be the next push, which is we need money. And we're not really going to distinguish between uh, economic hardship brought on by COVID. No, no, no. We just need it for all of this. See our balance sheet right now? It's really bad. We'd like all that to go away. Mm-hmm. I, if you're not upset by that, think about what that means. You, your tax dollars, maybe in a state that didn't screw it up, are now going to go to pay for people who screwed it up. I think of the prodigal son. You know, maybe I'm being less genuine, you know, genuine here and saying, okay, well, you know, these people had no good intentions. They, their intentions are strictly to take from you so they can continue to make bad contracts with people who don't want to work long term. Now, if you got a contract like that, I understand you don't want to give it up. You don't want to give up that pension. But it was a bad faith contract, and the unions knew it, and the government, state governments knew they couldn't pay it. So why does everybody else have to pay for it now? Because this golden opportunity fell in your lap. Uh, well, we it's, not just, it's not just greater. you. It's not just you going to have to pay for this. Okay. My great-grandchildren. Grand, exactly. Because going forward, all of those taxes and all of those burdens are going to be, this isn't going to be paid off in a year that this you're talking about a generation that are going to be paying for this, the amount of money, the trillions of dollars that are going to be involved in this. And it, it will not end because these people and I, any, I don't care what political party you are. These people need to take responsibility for what they've done and shouldn't saddle the rest of the country with their burdens. And I live in a state where they're probably going to try to do this. And I think that's horrendous. I think yep. it's awful that any other state should have to pay for my state's stupidity. 
And my state stupidity resides in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with Governor Tom Wolf, who doesn't actually live in Harrisburg. He well, just and, has a, a mansion there. And to be to be fair to Wolf, who you and I both really have no loathe, tolerance for his him. his policies, but in fairness to him, this is a problem that long predates him. Oh, yeah. The point yeah. is, is that he's he's merely carried on policies that perpetuated. But this goes back for administration. By the way, Republican and Democrat, yep. they're okay? all all culpable. So we're going to avoid political accountability, right? Which to your point, how do we disincentivize this type of behavior? Well, you make the public aware and you have consequences, political consequences for the people that have put us in this position. What's the best way to make sure this continues to happen? Bail them out, make them face no consequences and let them do it all over again. And you know exactly that's what they will do because- it's the, the most fun to spend other people's money. Well, think about that. When you were a kid, you didn't think about what something cost. You just wanted it. Your parents had to find a way to pay for it, but you just wanted it. So if they gave it to you, that didn't cost you anything. As soon as you were a kid and you said, well, you need to spend, it cost you $5. You only have four. Well, now you suddenly realize I don't have enough to get what I want. That's not right. I want to have that. Well, it doesn't work that way. And, and politicians are no different. Well, they, think they own it, whatever they want. It does work that way. If when you're a child, you can forcibly take all of your siblings allowance <laughs> money and, and use it to spend on whatever you want. And yeah. then when, and then when they say, Hey, you just stole money from us. No, no, that's okay. I'm going to, I'll make someone else pay you back. Yeah. In fact, I'll make our, Ponzi I'll make our neighbor's kids pay for your allowance. Yeah. Isn't a Ponzi scheme Isn't that how that works? Kind of sounds like it. Wow. So it's just one that one thing after another. What my root problem is, why are we why are we still shut down? Maybe New York City needs to be quarantined, maybe Philadelphia, maybe Los Angeles. I don't know. But why are we still shut down? And I, I read something the other day in now this is hilarious to me. They say there was like about three thousand in Los Angeles County that had COVID at the time they were writing this. But there's a study out that says there might have been 425,000 people who had already had it and didn't even know it. So when you oh. look at those numbers from Dr. Bricks and from Dr. Fauci, you need to remember they're only testing people who have symptoms or have been exposed or around somebody else who had COVID-19. So it's not a representative sample of the numbers. So I, I my parents watch the news. I, I happen to be with my parents right now. They are every night telling you how many new cases and how many people died. So total which cases. is, which is, which is utterly meaningless without well, it is in the context, because again, using the state of Pennsylvania, it's about 1600 people died. Uh, there's 12.8 million people in the state of Pennsylvania. That means 0.01% of people have died. Now that's very sad for the 1600 and whoever else might pass because of this. But the fact that some of these people are being classified as COVID-19, even though they had stage four cancer or they got hit by a bus right after they were diagnosed or any, any number of reasons, the, the false math, I feel like we're doing the million man math again, where it's just whatever number you want to put out, that's the number. And even the, and last week, they actually took away some of the deaths because they realized, hey, this, somebody's getting wise to us. There was a, a county in Pennsylvania where two people were listed as having died. And the, the coroner came out and said, uh, I don't have any deaths listed. I, I don't know what they're talking about. They just made it up. 
because it sounded good. And they said, well, you know, they put down the computerized record and they picked the wrong county. Oh, really? You picked the wrong county, even though you're reporting numbers by county. And it wasn't even close to the right county. So they just make stuff up. Well, it's not even so much they make it up. What's fascinating, one of the studies that you referenced was this Santa Clara study, uh, where I think they took essentially 3,200 people, um, and they they weren't doing the typical nasal swab test. This is a blood serum test. They're testing for antibodies, right? We've talked about this. Yeah. Because what they want to know is, they don't want to know right now who has it, which is all, that's what the tests are for now. Oh, you have COVID. Now you need treatment. No, what they wanted to know is how many people in the population have already gotten this and cleared it and have developed antibodies. Because again, that's that denominator. When you're attempting to figure out the infection fatality rate, it is pointless to tell people if all you're using is the people who have tested positive as the denominator and then the people who have died, your fatality rate is going to be (laughs) massive. Yep. Because you're not accounting for the potentially millions of people who have already had this, either been asymptomatic or have had some symptoms and cleared it. But here's what's fascinating. So they ran this test. And again, no test is perfect. Okay. And even the doctors that did it, I actually watched the podcast of one of the guys who was leading was the one of, and this guy's an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. And his point was based on their test, the the number of people who have had this, if you extrapolate, at least in that area, 50 more, fifty times more. And what does that mean? That means that the lethality of it is far, far less. Now, Chad, you would think that that conclusion, and he, they were very careful with caveats, right? This is not perfect. But you would think in general that conclusion would be met with, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who wouldn't be? No, 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 no. They were met with outrage. Okay. Mm-hmm. People saying, this is ridiculous. It's like, gee, it's almost as if you people want it to be worse. <laughs> Why would you want that? Because well, you saw the that came out that they wanted, they said, well, you know, we're not sure if you have it, if you actually are immune to getting it again. As soon as that came out, prior to that, nothing. Oh, you know, once you have it, you're good. Suddenly, once that study comes out, oh, maybe you're not really protected. We should still keep you locked down. Right. But it's the mindset, the mindset of how dare you, how dare you present information that suggests this isn't as bad as we thought is it's like, are you in a cult? Like, so, so, but again, it demonstrates this almost religious fervor for the people that are saying no. This is as bad. It's it's an apocalypse, and that's why anyone who presents even factual information that undermines our demand that the lemmings stay in their homes is going to be attacked. Well, that's not. Gee, I thought that was the party of science, right? Those are the people that love science. Well, they love science only to the extent that it supports their worldview, and then science becomes very inconvenient. Um, that reaction is very telling because it should be anyone like why wouldn't the reaction be okay? We'll take it for what it's worth. It's another study. We'll add it to the information that we have. But if they're correct, that's a very positive development. No, no, no. And you know what else? 
that might support the icky bad orange man. Sure. It might be used to somehow support what he suggests. We can't have that. We can't have I that. I don't even know so much to support Donald Trump as it doesn't fit the narrative of the world is ending and you need to follow our rules and do what we tell you. And it, and if somebody gets the idea in their head that, well, maybe it's not as bad as we were led to believe, I might go outside. I'm, I might go try to make a now isn't it interesting this is funny to me so you can't you're not considered essential at least in certain parts of the country so you can't go to work but you can go get a job taking food to people delivering packages or something like that where you're still going out to work but you can't go to the actual job you have but this job's okay what, again prediction there i mean it's, it's there isn't there isn't um so yeah I, I think we've i think we've beaten that one to death we'll, we'll keep we'll have to keep talking about it but i wanted to ask you i, I yes. wanted to ask you did you did you watch any of the uh the last dance documentary about the bulls i did i watched the first two episodes i did not watch last night's episode yet so i can't speak to that one what, what was your question? Cause I know you have a question. Well, no. So I just want to know in general, cause I mean, I know you're not a huge like basketball guy. No, but uh, I, I like the bulls of the nineties. I watched, I used to watch them regularly. I watched, watched the regular right now. I wouldn't watch the regular season if, even if it was on. Um, but I watched the regular season. I liked watching the bulls play. And I, and I can't say that about any other uh, NBA team. Uh, it was just something about the bulls. Um, it was a show. You know, I don't mean showtime as in the Lakers. I mean a show. It was it was it was phenomenal athletes doing phenomenal things. And for me it hasn't been the same since and to me it wasn't before. And, and that's that's short-sighted because I'm sure there were some great players uh that I could have watched prior to that, but I enjoyed the first two episodes. Uh, Is there anything so I think you're a perfect sounding board because sure. I'm somebody who was a huge well first of all i was a huge basketball fan i was a huge jordan fan so i know a lot more just about like none of this really comes as any sort of new information to me now some of the footage they got is incredible yeah but the, sure. all of the general details about all of these people i knew but you probably didn't so was there any one particular thing about the first two episodes that struck you as just that stuck out to you as, Oh, either I didn't realize that I didn't know that that seems surprising to me. Anything like that? Um, watching the first two episodes, uh, you're not going to like this, but I, I liked Michael Jordan less. Okay. That's fair enough. I, I felt, I didn't like how he kind of matter of fact about Pippen getting his surgery on his foot and, you know, it's easy for him to say, yeah, he should have done it earlier and all that. And I, and I can understand Pippen's childish response of, well, I'm not going to ruin my summer. I'm going to go rehab on the company time. I, I get that. I, to me, it was also the, um, and I think this is a little unfair. Uh, and not that I like Jerry Krause, but the fact that he's dead and can't respond to a lot of what was said about him. And even Jerry Reinsdorf is not real. You know, for the success that they had together, you thought he'd be a little more supportive of what Krauss did. Now, <laughs> Krauss was a, was a troll in a lot of ways, and he did things I know to try to up, you know, one up everybody. And 
And I think the players never like management who's saying, well, you didn't play, you didn't suit up, so therefore you don't matter as much. And Krause is always like, hey, I put the team together. I, I got Kukoc here. I got Pippen here. I, I mean, I did those things. And he never got a, he never got the credit probably he deserved because Michael belittled him. And that's, I think, where I, I lost some respect for Michael. He was very belittling. Oh, now I wasn't behind the scenes and I, I knew some of that in the past. And I just reminded me again, how, how petty he could be. And, and I'm like, you're, you're the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Forget LeBron's people. You're the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. And you're treating this guy. Who's a midget by comparison to you short, fat little guy. Who's just trying to do his job. And maybe he could have gone about it differently, but why did Jordan need to publicly Oh, he berate didn't. And Pippen need to publicly berate this guy. They didn't. So here's the here's the interesting thing, and and so this is, it will be fascinating to see how people who, again, really didn't, all they knew about Michael Jordan was the commercials, right? This sort of the casual fan. The here's smiling, the, good. Here's good here's the right. point about Jordan. The reason that he is the greatest basketball player, in my view, the greatest team sport athlete uh, that this country has ever produced is because he was psychotically competitive, unhealthily, pathologically competitive. So you are absolutely correct. Jordan could be ruthless. Okay. His entire existence was predicated on you either are on, on board with me which is your entire existence should be focused on winning and crushing, right? What's the quote from Conan? Uh, what is best in life? To drive my enemies before me and hear the lamentations of their women. That is Michael Jordan's entire life philosophy. Now, does it make for sort of admirable and healthy interpersonal relationships? No, Not doesn't. really. <laughs> so, that side of him, if people were not like, didn't know that about him. Now, look, people will also say, oh, he's a great guy to hang with because he is. He's funny. I mean, he's he's basically Babe Ruth, right? When Jordan's in the room, the, every eye is on him. But here's what I thought was interesting. So you're absolutely correct. Should not have treated Krauss like that. But you have to understand the genesis of that. And you saw this in the documentary was when Jordan broke his foot in his second year. Again, this guy's a velociraptor. All he cares about is I want to play. And what does Krauss say to him? Krauss basically says, you're the property of this organization, okay? And we want you not to play. You need to just, and by the way, from a business standpoint, there you'd be insane as a GM and an owner to say, this guy is the golden goose for an entire league, right? He's He is singular. We're not going to risk putting him on the floor for a team that was 30 and 52. And by the way, the only reason they made it to 30 and 52 is because Jordan came back and played. Yeah. And so, but Jordan, again, in his mindset, what that's telling him is you don't want to win. Okay. So that yeah. soured him from the beginning, but here's the thing that I still find. I knew this, but I still find incredible. Jerry Krause deserves absolute credit for being a brilliant executive. Say what you want about the man. He drafted Pippen. He drafted Horace Grant. He got Bill Cartwright. Like, other than the fact that, and of course it's a huge deal that, okay, he didn't pick Jordan. Rod Thorne was the guy that picked Jordan. Okay. And Jordan's the reason that they became an iconic team. But nevertheless, Krause did a really good job building that team. But what then does Krause do? 
He's upset because he's not getting enough credit. And so by, this is incredible that this happened. He has a team that has won five championships. They've won two in a row and they have the reigning MVP and the greatest player in the history of the league and still the best player in the league. And what does he say to Phil Jackson going into the final season? I, I don't care if you go 82 and O you're not coming back and we're breaking up this team. Now that is completely insane. It is. And, but here's the thing. What people seem to miss, and you alluded to this, does Jerry Krause own the team? No. No. So you would have thought that Jerry Reinsdorf, when his GM comes to him and says, listen, um, yeah, even though we still have a championship team and are going to win another one, I want to break the whole thing up because my ego is bruised that they don't like me and I'm not getting any credit. And you would think at that point, the owner would say, yeah, Jerry, listen, you're going to have to get over it, but <laughs> we're keeping Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson on together until we don't win any more championships because you'd be insane. But you know what? Jerry Reinsdorf let him do it. He well, let him dismantle the team. How could that happen? It, it, it's still mind boggling. I wonder, he made a good point. Um, Pippen signed what had to be the dumbest seven-year contract for $18 million. I, I'm not even sure. Did he have an agent? Did he just, they threw Jimmy, a number. He just Jimmy signed. Sexton was his agent. He did have an wow. agent. Wow. Uh, worthless. Just, just worthless as a con. I mean, that's insane. Uh, but I, I believe Pippen was gone regardless. So I think Reinsdorf and Kraus played the odds and said, Okay, will Jordan really leave, or will he just really try to pressure us like most athletes do? I want what I want, and he called their bluff. And well, okay, and I don't, don't forget but, the strike right after that. So that no, that's happen. true. But I don't, I don't buy. Listen, anyone who's around Michael Jordan for one minute, mm -hmm. when he said, "I'm not playing for anybody except for Phil Jackson," when he says things like that, he means it. So, and here's the other interesting thing about Pippen's contract, and you're correct. It was a bad contract, but what people miss, because they didn't really discuss this, all they showed is that in Jordan's last two seasons, he got paid. He didn't get paid much before that. He got he? paid 30, and then I think $33 million. And people are like, unbelievable. By the way, at that amount, he was still grotesquely underpaid, given <laughs> what he, no, given the, just the money, the money, okay? But yeah. here's the thing. Jordan's contract for his first seven years, was he was he made like four million or three point seven million a year. Now, yeah. Scottie Pippen, you're talking about the most valuable athlete in the history of American sports. He was not only the best player in the league. I think during that contract, he won three MVPs of the five that he won, four championships, and he made the league like one million billion dollars. So he was even more grotesquely underpaid than Pippen. Did he say a word? No. Now you could say, well, sure, he was still making $50 million off the court from Nike. But the point is, I have a slightly different take. Yes, Pippen's contract was a bad contract. Reinsdorf even says, now I'm not sure whether I believe, I believe this. It. I don't believe when he said I, that. You know, I told Scotty it was a bad deal. Yeah, I, I don't know about you. that. <laughs> Sorry. 
he he got himself boxed into a deal because he wanted long-term security for his family and it was a terrible deal but i I somewhat disagree with you about you know well you jordan should have been should not have been mad about him about the surgery no if you're playing on a team and you intentionally delay your surgery knowing that it's going to basically mean that you can't play into the three months into the next season I'm sorry, not acceptable as a teammate. Like, I don't care how mad you are at management, because here's the thing. You're not hurting management. You're hurting the coaches and the players that you're playing with well, by, do, by doing that. In football, they have a salary you know, contract holdout, and somebody doesn't show up for weeks, and they say, well, it's business. Why is this any different? I just didn't get my surgery, but I'm still holding out. I'm still trying to get traded. I'm still trying to get somewhere else. I don't believe that um, and by the way, I like Pippen. trying to do something and Krause trying to do something, get rid of Pippen while they still had something to get rid of instead of let him walk for nothing. And I understand that. But he, I, here's the thing. I don't Pippen. Pippen would not have walked if Jordan and Jackson came back. He wouldn't have if they all they had to do and you know, is pay them. And here's the thing again. But he got paid after he left. Well, well he did. He did. But here's the other thing. I'm not a guy in Chicago. If you just want to be completely cynical. Let's assume that Kraus and Reinsdorf are correct, that this team is at the end of its run and we need to rebuild because the decline is inevitable. Okay, let's assume that that's correct. I don't think they were correct. I think that team would have won at least one and possibly two more titles, okay? But but let's assume that they're right, that the Bulls never win another championship. The amount of money that that team represented just because here's the thing, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be deep into the playoffs and just from television gate receipts, merchandising as an owner, wouldn't you milk that to the bitterest end possible? I I mean, just from a balance sheet perspective, it's a no brainer, but maybe he's so rich. He doesn't care. I I don't know. I don't know what, Oh, Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf strikes me as a very Rockefeller. You know, what was the, uh, how much money is enough? Just $1 more. That Uh, might be, I, I, I do believe that Kraus did it for his own ego and bringing in Tim Floyd. I I don't know why anybody (laughs) thought that was going to be a really, you, you follow up a guy who won six championships with a college coach. who's won nothing. Wait, but wait, but you didn't just follow up with it. You're actively whining and dining Tim Floyd. You invite Tim Floyd to your daughter's wedding while Jackson is still the coach and don't invite Jackson. (laughs) What was, I do not understand his fashion. I think he thought he could take anybody and that was the anybody and make them a champion. That that is correct. Eric Spolstra. (laughs) You give me enough talent. I don't even care who the person is on the sideline. It doesn't even matter. You are I that is it. Know. Jerry yeah. Krause's ego was such that he believed I can redo, I can run this back again. I don't need Michael Jordan or Phil Jackson. I'm so good at evaluating talent that we're just gonna we're gonna rebuild from nothing and we're gonna have another championship. And guess what? Um, how many championships have they won since Jordan left? None. None, and they, they're not even anywhere close. How many finals? He's gone too. Krause has been gone. For how many years. NBA finals have they made? Uh, that would be none. That would be none, and I think they didn't. They've never even again. A number made, of Utah Jazz has made since then too, but right. But they, they've never even made it to the Eastern Conference Finals again. Maybe they made it one they won, season. I think they did with Derrick Rose, didn't they? One season, but they didn't I don't. Lost. 
I think they lost in the uh, second round. But in any event, the point is, the point is championship teams are very hard to come by. And when you have, when you have one that has won six and you still have the best player in the history of the league who remains the best player in the league at that time to, Mm -hmm. to intentionally dismantle that team is beyond crazy. It just is. It's, it's completely inexplicable. It's crazy because of what they had, but I truly believe the Jerry's thought they must have undervalued what Michael was, even though you could see it in front of you. I think they must have undervalued what Phil brought. Um, and what, what Scotty Pippen, what it was, uh, Michael Wilbon said he was the greatest Robin yeah. in the history of the league. Uh, and that's a, you think about that. Shaq and Kobe couldn't coexist as one being Robin, one being Batman. It didn't work. But somehow Pippen was able to do that because he understood I win with them. And I think even Jordan said that in the first or second, I think it was the first episode. He was the greatest teammate I ever played with because sure. he made me better. I never won a championship without Scottie Pippen. And I think that's, that's just, I mean, I like that comment because it makes me feel better about Jordan being such a jerk <laughs> most of the time. But uh, I understand that you're going to be a jerk because you're the greatest and they don't always make the greatest people to make the greatest competitors. And and that's fine. Um, I just, See, for, but for, to me, it's not so much that he was a jerk in the sense of like out in the public or whatever. It, see, it doesn't bother me because if you, if you want to have the guy you think about any of these guys who are on the Mount Rushmore of their sports. Okay. So Tom Brady, you know what? Tom Brady's a jerk mm-hmm. in term, not, not again, not to other people, but you watch him. Okay. His sideline tirades. <laughs> these guys are not normal people. They're just not, no. they're not wired the same way. That's the reason that sure. at, at that rarefied level, they are able to do what they did. And that requires a level of monomania, right? Of mm-hmm. just pathological, unhealthy obsession with winning. That yeah. that's why they're one in you know, one in a generation, actually more than one in a generation, one in a century kind of athletes. And they're all the same. It doesn't mean that it's everything that they do is admirable because it's not. And I can guarantee you see this <laughs> playing with Jordan, not fun. No. Now, here's the thing that is fun, though, hoisting all those trophies. And that's it what did. all those guys realized. I mean, it, I haven't watched the third episode, but I knew Tony Kukoc fe- features heavily in the third episode. Do you think hoisting those trophies made up for the constant abuse he took from his teammates? Well, well actually, actually, if you listen to, if you listen to Kukoc, and I've read interviews with him, um, yeah. for him, it did. And the thing is, it's interesting he never really took it personally. And that's the other point is that Jordan did make these guys better. Pippen Pippen would never have been the Scotty Pippen that he became if he wasn't playing with Jordan, because whether you like the method or not, you were either going to be sort of forged in fire, right? Or you're going to be discarded. Like, and that's, that's what he did. If you could not man up to his, kind of psychological and physical onslaught, you were done. Mm-hmm. Now that's very jarring for people to watch that. It's like, well, that's, that's cruel. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But that was his method. His yeah. method was, 
I'm going to make you into somebody who I can rely on so that we can win. And either that, or I'm going to destroy you. And there were guys that he destroyed. Yeah. It's, it's funny to see Bill Wennington and, you know, I'm like, wow, (laughs) it's hard to remember him being much of an athlete, but I I don't know. It's, it's fun to look back at those days and go, okay, I I remember when that was going on. I would encourage you to watch the next two only because uh, it's the Rodman episode and it's the bad boy Pistons episode. And so, you know, it's funny. They get into a lot of I never liked the Pistons, but, and I didn't like Rodman. I, I, I honestly don't remember Rodman much from the bad boy days until he got to San Antonio and became a head case. And then when the Bulls added him, I'm like, oh boy, is this a good idea? Cause this guy's crazy most of the time, but it worked. I mean, he, they kept him in check enough to, to well, win that's, more championships. That's, I won't spoil it for you, but one of the, one of the vignettes is that Rodman in the middle of the season, the last season tells Jackson, I need a vacation. This is in the middle of the season <laughs> and the says, no, and says, I need to go to Vegas. And so Jackson <laughs> goes to Jordan and says, Dennis, uh, Dennis says he needs a vacation. He wants to go to Vegas. And Jordan's reaction is like, if you let him go to Vegas, he's <laughs> never coming back. Right. So, but they literally let him go and it's supposed to be for 48 hours. He goes on this 80 hour Vegas bender with Carmen Electra. At the end of it, Jordan basically has to find him in a hotel room, drag him back. Okay. But here's the thing about Rodman. When he was on the court, he was all about winning. He yeah. was, he was there. He, he played his heart out. And Jordan even said, he goes, Dennis is one of the smartest guys I ever played with off the court. A complete zoo. One of my favorite shots of the whole thing is they have video of Rodman outside the, the uh, United center. Okay. He's, you know, he's in his regalia. It's like, looks like it's 10 o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. He he's guzzling an entire can of beer. Okay. Gets on a motorcycle after slugging down his Budweiser and roars off without a helmet with a police escort. <laughs> It's, That's Rodman, yeah. It's just a totally different world. I mean, could you imagine in today's NBA, oh, no. a star player, like on Twitter, this guy, like pick somebody. Um, Kevin Durant says, <laughs> I'm leaving I'm leaving the Warriors for a week in the middle of the season to go to Vegas. <laughs> well, if you think about it, the I mean, bird magic saved the NBA, I believe, in the, yeah. in the 80s. I mean, without them, I don't know the jury's comes with Jordan because I don't think there's an NBA tape delayed. The finals were tape delayed. That's how bad it was. Right. Half of the league was on cocaine. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was and not it was, a good scene, but I think the eighties allowed us to have the nineties and the characters you could get in the nineties. I think there's, there's a lot more homogeny to the league. Today oh, that good, good what, word, Chad. Well, you like come up with one occasionally. I do believe that that's the case. I mean, it, the personalities have been tampered out because there's so many endorsement opportunities. I think they've got handlers saying, well, wait, hold on. You got to, you got to bring it down a little bit. I don't care what you think behind the scenes. You can hate your coach. You can hate your players, but you got to act like you're, you're a nice guy, which is what Durant did in Oklahoma city, but eventually couldn't do in golden state because he finally kind of his personality came out. Uh, I agree with that. That's interesting. I also think, think, I also think, and look, I'm not saying that, you know, the the players in today's league, certainly not the great one. They're all, they're all competitors, right? But 
there is not the level of visceral hatred. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, the, the episode four. Jordan still hates the Pistons and he hates and the Pistons hate him. And and the thing is those kind of rivalries, and this is the same thing with the Lakers and the Celtics, right? The, that kind of, it was beyond look off the court. These guys aren't stabbing each other, but on the court, it was a war and it was personal and it wasn't about I'm building my brand Right. It wasn't about, uh, I, I got to release my rap album. It was, we want to destroy these guys between the sure. line because we literally detest each other. And part of the reason, part of the reason is because in the league back then, the physicality, it was like being in a bar fight, you know? Sure. So, so you're getting pulverized. It's a lot harder to like somebody when they're like, you know, putting an elbow in your face when you go to the basket. You as opposed them in to rules. Is that what you're talking about? But it wasn't even just for him. The entire league was like that. So, yeah. you know, you you play pickup ball at the Y, right? If you you play with a guy that's going to give you a shiv in the ribs and flagrant foul you, there's going to be some hard feelings, right? So at that level, yeah. that kind of stuff just doesn't exist anymore in the current, as you said, homogenized NBA because the style of play, they just don't allow it. But it certainly makes rivalries and for fan intensity, I think that just doesn't exist anymore. Well, just as an aside, Charles Oakley was one of Jordan's best friends on the Bulls. Yes. Where she gets to the Knicks and I remember Oak being a little bit more physical uh, in the lane. You know, wonder- well, he was physical all the time. I mean, if he you- was but now it's against people. Sure. He liked, or at least they thought liked, um, but he did well, not. And he and Jordan, he and Jordan are still really close friends. And listen, Jordan didn't hold that against him. In fact, Jordan, that's what Jordan would have expected. It's like, you're now supposed to smash me to the floor. That's the way it works. And he did. <laughs> I mean, you want to hear some, I mean, Oakley is a legendary guy. If you, if you read anything about the NBA during that era, if there was one guy who was sort of the Clint Eastwood of the NBA, it was Charles Oakley. Meaning if you had a beef with Oakley, you're, you're in trouble because, because <laughs> he's going to take you outside. Like he was one of the real deal. Uh, like you don't mess with Charles Oakley. No, there's like not. a few guys, you know, who else amazingly was Jerry Stackhouse. Remember Jerry Stackhouse Yeah, played at UNC. Another yeah. guy that apparently off the court, real deal. Don't mess with Jerry Stackhouse. So I always love those kind of stories where, you know, Oakley would walk into another team's locker room, slap a guy in the face. <laughs> That would like, be awesome. That just that, that doesn't awesome. happen. That doesn't happen anymore. They they don't have no. guys like that. They couldn't. They couldn't. I think we need to get out of here. I'm gonna. I have a clip to end us with, but I'm gonna say good night and we'll play the clip and end on that. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Yeah, I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason. Unless, of course, you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open. And all stores must close unless, of course, they need to stay open. This virus is deadly, but don't be afraid of it. 
It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there. Unless, of course, you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. The virus remains active on different surfaces surfaces for two hours or four hours or six hours, but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air unless the air is plastic. Schools are closed, so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home. If you are at home, you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet, more than one child, only one computer, or you are working from home. Baking cakes can be considered math, science, or art. If you are home educating, you can include household chores within their education curriculum. And if you are home educating, you may start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. every day. If you are not home educating children, you may also start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. Masks are useless at protecting you against the virus but you still need to wear one because it can save lives. And in some cases it may even be mandatory, but also maybe not. You must not go to work, but you can get another job at which point you may go to work. Stay home. I don't know how many more celebrities we need to have tell you how important it is to go outside and take care of your mental health. There is no shortage of groceries in the supermarket. There are simply many things missing. You don't need to go buy a bunch of toilet paper, but you should buy some in case you need it. If you are sick, you may go out once you are better, but those in your household, they cannot go out once you are better, unless of course they need to go out. Animals are not affected by the virus, except for that cat that tested positive in Belgium in February, plus a couple tigers. The number of corona-related deaths will be announced daily, but we don't know how many people are infected because we were only testing those who are almost dead to determine if that's what they will die of. The people who die of corona who are not counted won't or will be counted, but maybe not. To help protect yourself during these times, you should be eating well and exercising, but exercising only eating what you have at home to avoid going to the stores unless you need toilet paper or a fence panel. It's important to get fresh air, but don't go to parks, but do go walk in other places. Just don't sit down unless you are old or pregnant. But if you do sit down, don't sit for too long unless you are old and you are pregnant, in which case you need to sit down. But if you do sit down, don't eat unless you've had a long walk, which you are allowed to do if you are old or pregnant, except for times in which you aren't. Don't visit old people but you have a moral obligation to take care of old people and bring them food and medicine. And finally, no businesses will go down due to coronavirus, except those businesses that go down due to COVID-19. I hope this cleared up any questions about what we should and should not be doing during this time. Please educate your friends and family with this information so we can remove any and all confusion surrounding this time. Thank you. This has been a Hannah Tree production.